somewhere between waking and sleeping, on our journey towards the unfathomable deep, there comes a thin moment where we have one foot in the waking world and the other is in that other world where we relinquish conscious control. Pausing here and straddled between two planets that drive one another like gears, the attentive traveller will notice a narrow door, only wide enough to sidle through. This is the border of sleep, where imagination and reality are braided together, a chasm in the crust of consciousness, venting the hot pumice of imagery into the irresistible magma of narrative. Welcome to episode 45 of Stories from the Borders of Sleep, a fortnightly podcast of curious tales from bordersofsleep.com featuring original stories by your host, Seymour Jacklin. You can visit bordersofsleep.com for more information or to leave feedback or you can even buy me a coffee. You can also find us on Facebook where it would be lovely to meet you. My heartfelt thanks goes to all who've messaged or emailed me with kind words or bought me coffee or left a positive review or recommended the podcast to friends. I'm so warmed and encouraged whenever listeners get in touch and I will always reply. The beautiful soundtrack for this week's episode is by Cora player David Gilden from his album Jato the Lion. It's gorgeous and it's available from magnatune.com. So, if you are ready to journey with me, then I shall begin. Brother Savion by Seymour Jacklin Any artist will tell you, it's difficult to make an interesting picture when the subject is predominantly brown. Yet, nature mixes brown upon her palette for her most generous moments. From the doe's flank to the nurturing loam and nourishing sap, and even to the fine liquid in the tiny bottle that Brother Savion was holding up to the light. He shook the bottle gently and splashed a little of the liquid up the glass inside. It fell into viscous golden pillars and streamed back to its source. That was good. No sediment. The preparation was ready. The bottle contained the distillation of late summer hedgerows, when nature pressed out the fruit of the year in a great and generous sacrifice of energy. He was fixed with the sudden urge to uncork the bottle and inhale deeply the essence of rosehip and bitter blackthorn berries, linden flower and hazel bark. But he must wait for that if this were to last the winter. He would need it when the hard clench of frost came to defy the thin rays of midwinter sun and kept the ground hard all day, right through to the late snows that would come to hide the first motions of spring under its weight. Brother Savion moved out of the pillar of light that came through where he'd pulled aside one of the rude planks that made up the roof of his hut, and he disappeared into the gloom. He didn't need to see clearly. He knew his way by touch around the small space of the single-roomed dwelling he'd occupied for forty years. He placed the bottle on a shelf with many others, rows of them standing to attention and waiting should he need them. Essences, extracted from the physical world, one step closer to becoming ether. He began to tidy up his workbench. 
No one could move with his careless ease in such a small space unless everything had its place. He felt easy, only his habit had begun to chafe a little under the arms and didn't seem to fit him as well as it used to. It had certainly had long enough to settle on his bony contours. Perhaps he was changing shape. My habit's chafing, he muttered out loud. Then he thought there might be a sermon in there, somewhere, about how one day we wait to find the things we've done for years without thinking suddenly seem contrary. Yes, that's it, contrary to us, as if they no longer fit. He paused and stooped over the workbench as his mind warmed to his theme. It's time then, my brothers and sisters, to recognise that the winds of grace have ceased to breathe through that thing. No matter how good and right your habit might be, it will wear you out if that life is not in it. He had much less use for sermons these days since he'd grown silent in the presence of the forest and ceased preaching to the animals, as St. Francis had. Speaking out loud was occasional and for his own benefit, articulating to himself what he'd heard from the trees in what often seemed like the voice of another, so he'd become a listener. He tugged his sleeve gently as if he were trying to coax the cloth to give him a little more space. The habit had worn well. Each week when he went to bathe, as was his custom in all weathers, he took it off and carried it in a bundle as he waded into the faster-flowing part of the river, where he would wash it as he washed himself, before taking it back to the shallows and beating it on a rock, and then hanging it in a tree to dry. In the winter he'd make sure he'd lit a good fire on the riverbank to go back to. He'd long ago dispensed with shoes. They'd become impractical, even in winter. The procedure of capturing a hedge essence took a couple of weeks during which there was gathering to do, steeping, extracting, refining. It could never be hurried. With his harvest brew safely stowed, the paraphernalia of his work tidied to the back of his workbench, Brother Savion pushed aside the green-grown door of his hut and appeared on the forest floor. In a torn collage of light and shade, he blended, becoming more of a texture and less of a shape. Autumn was beginning to set on, beginning with the yellowing of bracken on the ground and on the edge of the beech leaves. Something suddenly suggested itself to him, like a recorded memory. He closed his eyes to see better, but the more he tried to bring it into focus, the more it eluded him. Ah oh well. He'd let it be on the edge of his vision until he understood it. When he opened his eyes again, looking up, it seemed that he was far underwater, with shade twisting like seaweed above his head. The shapes, the colours he saw when he closed his eyes. He fancied they were always there, behind the fabric of light as if this forest were painted on a curtain, and behind it was a huge void filled with blossoming polygons that drifted, wrapping and unwrapping their fringes like jellyfish. The flesh and glory of the trees was a sort different from his, but every day a little less different from his, it seemed. He coveted their slow strength, their submission to the seasons, the accomplishment of their growth, and their creviced yet perfect faces. He rubbed his hands together and they rasped like bark on bark. Lately he'd noticed the calluses, how they resembled wood, hard, whirled, 
dead on the outside and living underneath. Choose your surroundings carefully, his novice guardian had told him, before he'd left the monastery for a life of solitude. You will become where you are. There was gathering to do again, and it was moss he was after today, of a particular sort among hundreds, and he knew where to find it. He moved off, placing his feet softly like a hunter. The sun was beginning its descent through the quiet afternoon. After half a mile or so, he paused in a natural clearing, where a couple of horse chestnuts had established domain. Some of their branches had broken off in a storm last year and lay in the grass. He intended to sit on one and rest his complaining limbs for a few moments, but he suddenly thought he could hear voices. A starling startled across the clearing, sounding the alarm. Even though his joints responded to him grudgingly, he had the reflexes of a cat. They moved him like a shadow back into the undergrowth. Four young boys were coming into the clearing, each carrying a stick. The taller boy out front carried his like a spearman at waist height. The others swished theirs idly at the bracken. It was very rare to see anyone here. The combination of the wide river and a dense ravine running into it made this part of the woodland hard to reach. It would have taken the boys an intrepid path over more than an hour to get here, if they'd come from the nearest village. Brother Savian was curious. Everything happened for a reason, he believed. Forty years ago, he would have panicked at the risk of being discovered and the inevitable interruption to his way of life. But he'd studied the text of every detail and every fallen log and broken twig for long enough to know that it was all just information, signs of life and portents of change. These boys had been allowed through somehow, and for some reason. He recognised himself in the smallest and youngest of them. He knew that look, carefully watching his companions so that he could imitate them more accurately, but he swished his stick without conviction checking to see what the others were doing and whether they'd noticed him. Whack! Whack! The dried fiddleheads flew into the air like sparks. But the smaller boy had paused and was running his stick gently back and forth over the dried heads of a patch of hogweed. He was really seeing them for the first time. Tiny rattles packed together on top of the deeply ridged columns of speckled stems covered in tiny hairs, giving off a slightly bitter, dry grass scent. The heads fizzed, nodded and sprung back as he swept them, back and forth. He was drawn into the repetition of shape and movement that is nature's hypnotic pulse. Timeless and fascinating, like the water backing up and collapsing again and again against a rock in a shallow stream. His reverie was interrupted by a call from the oldest lad. Shush, listen. The elder boy crouched down and looked at a spot away to Brother Savian's left. The three other boys came up behind him and crouched down, pointing their sticks like hunters, mirroring him. There's something out there, said the older boy dramatically. Try not to scare the prey. Brother Savian suspected it was all a piece of theatre for the benefit of the other three boys, but they were straining their attention off into the woods, and he was more likely to be detected. He backed deeper into the undergrowth, keeping low until it felt safe to stand up again and walk. The boys were between him and his direct route, 
so he needed to circle around. He felt an urge to return to his hut. What if they discovered it? It was probably safer to wait until later in the day when surely they would have gone. Brother Savion picked his way deeper. The boys would need to turn for home at some point, so there would be a natural extent to their exploration. The further he went, the safer he'd be, and besides, he was going for moss, and there was an old friend this way who he'd not seen for a while. The land enveloped him and accepted his footprints. The pulse in the ground had a double beat, like his heart, but slower, and lately stronger, and he noticed again how its cadence went more strongly through his being than the heartbeat in his chest, which had seemed to become more dispersed throughout him. The soil's pulse was faster in the summer and slower in the winter, but certainly not subject to the racing and halting rhythms of his own flesh and blood. He followed an animal path that would be hard for most to discern, winding through the undergrowth, but it led him surely to his destination, a ruined chapel, embedded in the forest under moss and roots with its original architecture only just discernible. Here it seemed to him that someone had once gathered all the symbols that ought to be there, the crosses and altar, carved slabs struck with prayers, but the woodland had steadfastly supplanted these with its own language of twisted branches. In the old sanctuary, a cluster of three holly bushes had made a natural shelter that could be found if you crept through into the middle of them, and there was a fourth character in this little conference of trees, an ash. It had grown with a twist like it had tried to turn and face the other way. Its bark was scarred with sap stains and stretch marks, glyphs in the text of its life. Brother Savion knew this tree as his Christ of the Woods. It had startled him when he'd first come upon it. A torn-off branch from its earliest days had left the tree with an oval scar wherein further scarring had outlined a Christ-like face. The twisting growth of the trunk had furthermore suggested limbs, so that the human form was depicted in a contortion stretched around the tree, the whole effect being strangely more striking than a human hand could have composed. The eyes had looked down at his feet, sparing him the fullness of their gaze. It had presided over what quickly became a favoured devotional space for Brother Savion. It was here early in his solitude that he often came to pray. Brother Savion first picked the moss he needed, stowing it in the often patched pocket of his habit before heading for the shelter. As he stooped to enter the interior which had become overgrown and barred his way with prickly leaves, there was a fluid movement at his feet, animating the leaf mould. An adder, drawing a fading line of black and white diamonds as it slipped away. It was unusual and certainly significant. And since Brother Savian was in the habit of taking his devotional text from his surroundings, he wondered what he would see next. There was something different about the day. First the boys, then the snake. Unknown to him, the boys had become aware of the lengthening shadows and were trying to find their way home. Kieran, the eldest, had suggested they move down the slope, where he hoped they would find the river and an easier way back to the village. It was awkward going down, and they had all fanned out, finding their own way. Tom, the youngest, was out on the furthest flank. He could hear the others calling occasionally and breaking branches, but he was absorbed in watching his feet. 
The slope steepened and the leaf mould skidded out beneath him, landing him on his backside suddenly so that he slid down into a hollow. When he got back to his feet, he noticed the overground, tumble-down hut. He was about to shout for the others, but there was a silence here he felt afraid to break. He stalked around the side of the hut with all his senses concentrated, feeling the woodland watching him. The door was more propped up than secured in the doorway. He pulled it with one hand, clenching his stick with the other. It fell open and the low light wiped out the gloom inside, illuminating Brother Savian's potions ranged on their shelves. Tom forgot to breathe. Again he thought to shout for the other boys, but something stopped him, like it had stopped him smashing the hogweed. He put a foot inside the hut and leant in to peer around it quickly gave way to darkness, but he could see the glint of more glassware and smell burned wood. The few bottles that had labels were indecipherable. Brother Savion had his own way of remembering what was in them. Tom felt a little bolder. There didn't seem to be anything threatening here. He reached one of the bottles down, opaque blue with a slightly pearly surface tint of old glass. He put his stick up against the wall, eased the cork off the bottle, then held it to his nose. The perfume flooded his senses all at once. Above the sickly scent of daisies that was so intense, it struck the back of his tongue. He heard a rushing sound, and his vision was suddenly overlaid with glowing strands like reflected water. He pulled his head back and replaced the cork quickly. That was enough for now. This didn't seem fun, nor did it seem like something he wanted to tell the others about. The sensations faded, except for the rushing, which died to a whisper, until he wasn't certain if it was just the breeze in the treetops that he'd not noticed before. Then he heard Kieran shouting and whistling for them from below. I found it! It would be dark by the time the boys made it to their homes. And then again, many years before Tom would come back to that place, in another stage of life, although he thought about it almost every day. As Brother Savion pushed through into the secret room within the holly bushes, it seemed that both he and it were different this time too. The holly had grown back into the space, but there was still enough room for him to stand up inside, and a patch of floor in front of the ash with enough space to sit. Although he'd visited the place most days in the earlier years, it had been a couple of moons this time, and he struggled to make out the Christ's familiar outline. It seemed to have faded back into the surroundings. He stood, waiting for the peace and clarity that usually came to him here, listening. He saw straight away where the snake had been there. Its old skin hung, snagged on a low branch of holly, like a white lace ribbon. He took it up carefully and held it in front of his eyes, a torn veil. Then the sermon came to him. The serpent and the tree... That was an old text, but these words seemed older still, and seemed to bear both the innocent cry of a beginning and the grave wisdom of an ending. His lips moved like an oracle's. It all makes such perfect sense. Don't add to this now. This is a time to slough off the old skin. See, Brother Adder has gone on ahead. We need not tell of the writhing that has been done. The friction you sought to scratch and crack open and do the shedding. Consider, it's the diaphanous you leave behind to become substantial. 
I have taught you all that I can, so you must travel on, but I will come to you again in the next skin when you are ready, and you will recognize me. Brother Savian felt compelled to use the last movement in his legs to go down to the river, slower with every step. The sermon continued. Enough with old enmities, this weary dance of biting and trampling. He barely noticed the branch that caught and dragged the last threads of his habit off his body as he came down to the water. He felt a new sensation in his body, a steadying, as if he'd been climbing down a ladder and reached the last rung, put his foot on the ground. The mud seemed to cling tighter around his feet. The pulse of the earth swelled through him like the deep notes of an organ. His body stiffened like drying clay. And as the river hurried on, it seemed to be the only moving thing, for the stillness of the trees possessed him. I am become a tree, he said to himself. And that was the truth. Anyone coming upon him in the dusk would be startled by the apparent silhouette of a man stooping slightly over the water and looking down. On coming closer, they would see just an older tree with its roots in the mud at the very edge of the water, emanating stillness, inviting the passer-by to pause and stare down through the ripples at the never-repeating patterns of light on the pebbled riverbed. <laughs>